Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, just after 8 o'clock, and it is ju- well, just on 8 o'clock now, and just to prove we're live, it's 2-2 in the Papa John's semi-final penalty shootout, as Ed Maguire steps up at the Stadium of Light uh, against Lincoln City. On a packed show tonight, Tim Gray up in London, we have what? We really have a very packed show tonight, we have a big interview with Seb Brio, uh, we're going to be talking about Pike's Peak. Uh, we have Declan Brennan, uh, who's going to be looking back at the Daytona 500. We've got a brand new game show tonight. Uh, Shay Adam and Nick Damon will be here as well. Hello to Moni Elysium, taking her lunch break at the perfect time. Hello, Monica. Hello to uh, the Colonel. No FAs tonight taking a break from spotting the difference between a McLaren 35 and 35M. Um, still orange, still McLaren orange. Hello to right turn lover EFAs tonight. Oh, get in. Lee Burgess just saved a penalty. Um, again. Uh, and uh, Colin Mullen um, listening live tonight. A lot of chat on at Spectatainment about uh, some sports car news that we'll be talking about in a wee while from the Le Mans Cup and um, bronze drivers being penalised for being good and fast, actually. Being penalised for being fast. We'll talk about that in a wee while. As well, John Day, EFA's tonight, catching on the podcast on the way home from work. Uh, nice, easy sight survey near Urchester. Oh, that's this neck of the woods, uh, I believe. If it's the same, if it's the same one. Um, yes, we'll wave when passing Thrapston, says John. Thank you. Hello to Brody, EFA's tonight, catching up with the Daytona 500 while welding new metal into the 944. Uh, hello to Jack Martin. Eager to hear the news this week. Will help the trick in peak hour Sydney traffic. Ted the Toyman tuning in with the aircon on at 6.30 in the morning. Ugh, it's hot down there in Stryer at the moment. Phil is saying, hang on, uh, I'll be there at the end of the penalties. Phil, you could have been listening and watching at the same time. Uh, saving the, po- the podcast for the commute, uh, says my end dean. Uh, end Ending, excuse me. Uh, hello to the Car Nige collective as well. Carla and Nigel. Uh, Nigel, glad to hear you're feeling a lot better. Carla, best wishes to both of you from all of us here at Radio Show Limited and Midweek Motorsport. At Spectatainment, please. Ian McCarthy listening live tonight. And Phil can tune in now because the semi-final is over and Sunderland's on their way to Wembley again. At Spectatainment tonight, let's kick off with the top story, which might just be a bit of 
news about motorsport. Tim, fire up the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. I did uh, mention earlier that I uh, would be joined by Nick and Shay. So, uh, good evening, Shay. Hello. And that's just the, that's just the hot key. And you know that, good evening, you? Nick Damon. Good evening, Timothy Gray. Uh, we're going to start um, by asking Nick, have you ever been inspired by the Cheadle Bypass in Staffordshire? Um, I have to be really honest with you. I, I'm sure in my, world, in my years of repping, I have gone down the Cheadle Bypass, but it has not registered with me as a major event in my young life. You haven't thought about <laughs> maybe naming a child after it or anything like that? What? Here's my here my children James, Katie, and Cheadle Bypass. That sort of thing. Yeah, I think Cheadle's quite a good name for a kid, though, isn't well, it? Don Cheadle, of course, is the um, the actor. Mm-hmm. Don Cheadle, whom? Or John Cheadle Bypass? Would that is that is that what we're talking about here? Well, the Don Cheadle Bypass was like named after the actor. <laughs> Don Valley Cheadle Bypass. Um, to you know, that covers two counties. Yes, exactly. Two different areas. <laughs> What's the story? Come on, Tim, you're hiding the lead story. again. Al- Alpine have uh, announced that they're going to reveal their Formula One car on March the 2nd, and it will be called the A521. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Very good. Oh, Very good. Uh, for anybody outside of the UK, our, our road numbering systems, uh, that, is, that is the number, the road number of the Cheadle Bypass then, obviously, inspiring... As it is, surely they've got to do. They've, somebody's got to do a meme of it driving down there now. That's the it's got camera. to happen. Uh, are the speed cameras there? Is a the question. How fast do you have to go past a speed camera that you're out of its range before the second shot is taken? They did that really early on. I in top I now I think it was 174 miles an hour. I think it was. Hmm? I think those are the old, could they're do the that. old non-digital ones. That, well, you do run, and depends. And then there's the non-digital ones. So probably nowadays, it's, it's not much of an issue because it hasn't got a number plate. But then again, it's quite obvious. Unless it's one... <laughs> if they painted it black, they wouldn't be able to tell which of the teams it was. Yeah, would they? They, they painted it or a test driver. If they painted it papaya and put a little orange tip on the nose, then uh, it's they McLaren could orange. It's McLaren. By the way, it's McLaren orange. It's never really been officially called papaya. McLaren always called it McLaren, McLaren Orange. It was one journalist that called it Papaya. Many the reason being, they wanted to see, they wanted to copyright it, John. Hmm? With the, copyright the colour, whatever you do with the colours. Possibly. Copyright colour? Yeah, possibly. Trademark colour. Trademark it. Uh, that, that, you slipped that in, Nick, uh, Tim, sorry, as a bit of Formula One news. I did. What sort of news was that? That was Formula One news. Still quite dull out there for 41 years, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, several teams have been at Silverstone today. Yes, have they? Wait, Battling really? the, uh, yesterday and oh, today. Yesterday, yesterday it was um, McLaren. Who's yeah. in there the today? wet. Uh, Williams have been there today. Oh, oh, yes, they were doing. I've just, I've just seen that now. They were doing one of their TV days. It's all filming days at the moment, Nick, yeah. which means yeah. they can't go more than, what, 100 miles an hour? They can't do more than. than 100 kilometres, and you can't, you have to use rock hard test tyres. And I, I think the maximum speed is about 150 miles an hour. Oh, okay, fine. But it's, 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 they're just systems checks. You know, go through all the gears, go back down through all the gears, take some pictures, wave at people, you know, make sure it doesn't overheat in the, in the 
Actually, I mean, in fairness, it's been quite warm for February here. So they've, they've actually been, what, ambience about 13. So, you know. It was wet yesterday. It was a little mm. drier, I would have thought, at Silverstone today. We've had quite a lot of rain, only 15 miles away. All right, yeah. okay. It was drier here today, but only in the afternoon. It was quite pleasant in the afternoon. Almost got the big BMW out, the mighty G- uh, GT1600. But not quite. 1600 GT, should I say. But not quite. So your your Danish bacon and sausage delivery uh, is still sitting in my freezer, Nick. Not a euphemism. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Red Bull have uh, set up a company called RB Powertrains. Yes, because... Um, actually, we, we didn't actually... Because the the in fairness, the commission was last Thursday, wasn't it? So they yeah. weren't very good for us as far as um, a deadline. So yes, yeah, so a number of um, announcements from the commission. One of which was that the engine freeze is going to happen from the end of um, from, from the beginning of 2022, which means that Red Bull now feel it's fine to buy the um, well everything, the factory, the UK arm, sorry, of Honda, because obviously some of the manufacturing was done in Japan, so they have to work mm-hmm. out how to do that. Um, because they won't be left behind because the cars will be developed to the end and they'll then run those for another three years. The new regs have been bought back a year and Red Bull now say they might stay at engine manufacturer even when the new regs, which of course are yet to be decided, come out. But yeah, so we're going to have standardised engines with only upgrades for reliability reasons. Which, If you remember the last time we had standardised engines back prior to 2014, the V8 era, there seemed to be a lot of unreliable engines getting a lot of reliability updates and Renault were masters at that. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Uh, Fernando Alonso has returned home after a bike accident. Yes. Nasty. Had to have his jaw operated on after being knocked off his pedal bike, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they go on push bikes. There's, there's so many... So many <laughs> well, no, seriously, if you actually added, added up the number of racing drivers and motorcyclists who've been seriously injured, unfortunately a couple have been killed whilst riding push bikes, I think that that's, that's something you shouldn't do. Hmm. Um, because you're at, the, you're at the absolute mercy of the yeah of the other road users. Also, if you're a professional athlete, you often go at quite a lick on those things as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we know it's uh, not so much big, how big fast panel. you're going as how fast the thing that hits you is going, really, yes. isn't it? Obliquely comes into you, yes. Mm. And what and uh, what and what it how far it knocks you off. Having yeah, been knocked like off a motorcycle a and a, and a push bike before by other road users, um, I, I can tell you that um, it's not pleasant. No, no, it's not. And um, yeah, Mark think... Webber nearly ended his career with that when he was doing his own, yes, he was own down branded. Down by... Yeah, and I ironically, know. whilst he was whilst yeah he was whilst he was about to start for Porsche, he was taken out by a Toyota, wasn't he? Yes, I think he was actually. I think it was a Rav Four. You're right. I think that, <laughs> and it was in the Mark Webber Ironman competition yes. that he was in at the time anyway yeah. i digress and we have no, no time I mean, for digression tonight and he seems okay i mean it looks like he's obviously beaten up not very happy but um luckily because when you hear someone hurt their head you get very very worried but luckily it was the least least impactful part of his head as far as anything permanent ongoing it's just his jaw which must be really uncomfortable and taking his helmet on and off he's still going to be i dislocated my jaw about oh god i can't even think uh, it's got to be 30 years ago. It sounds painful. And I still get trouble with it now. And one of the things I've got to be really careful about is taking a full face helmet on and off. It's why my motorcycle helmet is flip front, because it's much easier to get it on and off without putting pressure on on and pulling the jaw. And I've still got to slightly stretch it to pull it off. A, 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 a race helmet, I've got to be really careful 
when I do it. So I I I think he's going to be um, uncomfortable at least. To say mm. that. Uh, hello to Chris Sugu, only the person that does the washing up has the right to listen to midweek motorsport evening Freya, <laughs> he says. Um, they, uh, and she points out that I do now have my Star Wars uh, motorcycle helmet, um, and I wear that even though it hurts because the rebellion needs me. She's absolutely right. got my X-Wing Red 5 <laughs> helmet that I, I wear on the motorbike sometimes as well. Um, uh, moving on, more F1 news, Tim? Uh, yes, but this is uh, a crossover story uh, because construction of the Monaco circuit will start on Monday. Oh, right, they're going ahead for of the Formula One, Formula E, and Monaco historic festivals, which will uh, take place across April and May. Yes, I just had a conversation about the historic festival. Actually, historic, the festival historic, unusual, of course, because we've got Le Mans historic and. Monaco Historic and Monaco Historic and Monaco Formula E all on the same year, all, all because of various postponements from last year. So that's going to be quite interesting. The, the um, odd thing is that the, the Le Mans Classic is not going back to its normal year. This is the right year for Monaco Historic because they're on the odds. Le Mans Classic's normally on the evens, but they're not. They're just going to leave two years, which means on Mm. the 100th anniversary run of Le Mans, you'll get a full one and a classic on the same year. But that also means that Monaco Historic and Le Mans Classic are always going to be on the same year, biannually. Unless they change it again after Uh, 2023. I don't think they'll do one in the the next year, consecutive year. Uh, They might. They might. Uh, anyway, the ACM has confirmed that there will be no cancellations from them this year. How can they say that? Well, I'm sure that after starting construction on the circuit, uh, there's very little point in cancelling anything. Yeah, but they might. Okay, they might not cancel it, but there might not be anybody there, and they might not have any entrance other than people well, that, who that's, live in Monaco. That's, that's also true. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, so. Carry on. So that, that's uh, Formula One news. Uh, tomorrow at nine, it's uh, On the Grid, and here's Richard Crail to tell us what's in it. This week on the Grid, Supercars winner Jack Perkins is on the show to talk about bringing some of the most famous touring cars in Aussie history, those that his old man raced and won at Bathurst in, back to the racetrack, and a new book documenting the entire Perkins racing history. Plus, rising Aussie music star Courtney Kyle joins the show. She's got new music coming, but also has a long-standing love of the sport and some high-profile racing connections. That's your Aussie look at the world of motorsport. It's on the grid, 9pm Thursday night UK time. That's a very civilised 8am Friday morning in Oz on RS1. Uh, and all the best to uh, Shebex, Tony Shebeki, who is having new knees, or a new knee. Just the one, uh, I think. And Creelsy is uh, heading up the show uh, on, for the next couple of weeks. So oh, Shebex, good guest tomorrow, though, Jack Perkins. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. Nice lad. Very nice lad. Uh, however, on Midweek Motorsport tonight, uh, we continue with some more of the week's news. What do we have? In the world of precious metals, <laughs> being silver is particularly difficult, I think. 
I think silver gets a bad rep in precious metals because it's actually rarer than some metals like gold, which are uh, perceived as being, or in fact, are more valuable. Silver drivers, though, seem to be the ones that whinge about uh, the precious metal system more than anyone else. Oh, no, golds. Golds do as well. And so do platinums. The only people who don't whinge are bronzes. Except, no, bronze, I'm a bronze. I'm a bronze. Uh, yeah, I you've whinge been complaining about... in the build-up to the show massively. I, I complain about former platinum drivers being downgraded just because they're old. You know, yes. Martin they Brundle, just have I'm their licenses at you. taken away. No, no. Martin Brundle, uh, Stefan Johansson, Emmanuel Perrault, who was it we were talking to a few weeks ago that we realised was now being downgraded to a bronze as well on age. I can't go any lower on my age, even when I turn my next significant birthday. I can't go any lower than bronze. I can't go any higher than bronze unless I get a factory contract, which would make me platinum. Because well, I no, did you could start get driving. To silver based on results. I, no, I can't. I can't because of how long, uh, how old I was when I started racing. I yeah. started racing so late. I can't. Um, but anyway, that's by the by. Well, during the last few so years... So everybody complains is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. During, in the last few years, uh, silver drivers have noticed that some bronze drivers are as fast or even faster than they are. Uh, which well, they, they should think, get faster then, shouldn't they? Which they think gives them an unfair advantage. Um, Excuse me, can I just amateurs. pause you? Can I just pause you right there? Because an unfair advantage, as was pointed out rightly on at Spectatainment, is, is is cheating. It's like asking your teammate to crash to cause a full course yellow. It's having the car underweight. It's uh, playing with the fuel flow sensors. It's that's that's gaining an unfair advantage. It's called motor racing, and the point of motor racing is to drive to the best of your ability for the most of the time. If a bronze, if me as a bronze driver is faster than a silver driver, I'm going to be proud of that. It's not an unfair advantage. I'm going to point at the silver driver and go, na 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 na, I'm faster than you. That's not an unfair advantage. That's motor racing. What was Isn't I was it? saying about drivers complaining? I haven't even got to the end of the story <laughs> yet, and John's gone off on a rant. Uh, this year in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which you can hear live on. Uh, RS1. Can you? A new regulation will be introduced to identify what they're calling bronze plus drivers, levelling the playing field in a clear, transparent and objective process. The new system is designed to penalise bronze drivers as as fast as silver drivers. This will be done by determining the silver driver's pace, identify the bronze drivers that are in that range, and then penalising them based on their performance. The silver drivers. I think that's a bad. Can I just say? I think that's a very, very. Let me finish explaining it before you. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to. I want to talk about the terminology that you've just used there before you go on. I accept that that's probably been translated from the French. I think that's a very, very bad choice of words using penalised and unfair advantage. Carry on. Silver drivers' performance range is divided into four quarters. Bronze plus drivers, whose lap times are in the first quarter of the silver drivers' performance range, will have 20 seconds added to their pit stop time. Drivers that fall into the second quarter, which is the area that is close to the average of the silver drivers, would have 
50 seconds added to their pit stop time. Bond's drivers that fall into the third quarter would have 80 seconds added, with the final quarter having a 120-second penalty. It doesn't say what happens to Bond's drivers People whose lap quicker. times are well outside the range of Formula also, uh, Silver drivers by being faster. It also doesn't say which Silver drivers and how that all those averages are calculated. It's, it's the average of all of them. Nick Damon. Hang on, I haven't finished yet. Well, okay, go on. Uh, This will be done at the following race. So you have, you'll know in advance uh, what your penalties are going to be. They're not just going to suddenly impose it mid-race based on calculations that are happening live. Well, there's so many things that are wrong with this and that will I understand what they're trying to achieve I'm not sure it's a question that anyone is really asking we're going to we've already uh, contacted a few people team owners drivers silvers golds bronzes uh, and we'll have some comment about this on next week's show I understand what they're trying to achieve but I, I think the law of unintended consequences comes into play here and you'll either get rolling bronzes so that you'll have Dave Miggins in the car one week and he'd be pretty good. And then, oh, well, next week, next race, uh, he would have been in the third quartile. Therefore, he's got 80 seconds. Ah, no, we're not going to have Dave Miggins in. We're going to have his brother, Robert Miggins in. Oh, he's good, Bob. Bob Miggins is great. But Yeah, but you've got no data on him. So that'll... So I, I honestly... Plus, you could also, Nick, could you not, because race teams are very clever, you could get a team, because you've got to have a bronze in the Le Mans Cup, don't forget. You have to have a bronze. You could have teams getting their silvers to bat off as much as they possibly can to affect the average to give a competitor a disadvantage later on in the season. Yep, and, you know, you can run everyone super full of fuel to slow them down easily. Um, Give them different tyres. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, I'd not, I, I, let me ask you a question because I'm not obviously particularly involved in the Michelin and Mon Cup. Is this a problem that needs solving? Well, that's a good question. You know, I, there's plenty of debate about driver ratings. And my answer to driver ratings is it's not the perfect system, but find me a better one. And the thing, the thing that I like about driver ratings as they stand is it's an absolute. And by that, what I mean is, if you put a driver's age and his results and his career in at one end, it spits out an answer at the end. It's it's what I call an if-then calculation. And you can, if you find an anomaly, say, no, hang on a second, though, but Bob Miggins won the, the Super Cup, so he can't only be a bronze. He has to be a silver or a gold. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, missed that. Missed that. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. So it's it's an absolute in that respect. Now, that puts it way ahead of some so-called technical regulations for cars where there's so many waivers given out that you can't mm. then look at a car and go, no, no, hang on a second, you can't go do that. Um, or that you can't have that car at Le Mans in GTE because yeah. the road cars haven't sold enough yet. Now we've got a waiver for that. Oh, oh, right, okay, sorry. So the technical regulations and the sporting regulations, actually, this is something that is absolute. Now I will admit to the fact that you could have from now until the end of time a debate over where you draw the lines for each 
of the driver categorizations. And you might say that the Michelin Pilot Challenge has um, has uh, as much uh, weight as the GT4 in British GT. Or you might rate one higher than the other. And depending on a driver's performance in that, that might affect their driver categories. Or you might say that Super Cup shouldn't mean that somebody is immediately a gold. Um, it should only... Right, you can have all those. But ultimately, eventually, you've got to stop somewhere. You've got to stop looking at the menu and make a decision. You cannot build a system based on outliers. There will always be people coming up who don't have a lot of experience who are moving through bronze and silver to gold because they're making a career. Conversely, although I don't like it as a bronze because who's going to pick me anyway, but certainly who's going to pick me as a bronze over Stefan Johansson or Martin Brundle? Duh. It's, you know, drivers I'd imagine you're significantly cheaper than either of them. Uh, well, and I probably not, have... If not, you're probably young getting the drives you would be. <laughs> okay, fair, it's a fair point, well made. Um, um, I bring other attributes, I always say. Um, but, so mm-hmm. you can always have an argument about it. Uh, and the people are going to be going through the lower categories if they're career drivers, people will be coming back down if their careers have ended. So, yes, there's always going to be debate, but you can't say that there are silver drivers pretending to be bronze or gold drivers pretending. It's about, it is based entirely on an if-then calculation. Eve's just put on the tweet, why, why shouldn't you have a silver minus rather than a bronze plus? Exactly. Exactly. You know, why don't we do, do you know what they should do? They should take the system they use for wheelchair basketball. Do you know what that is? Every player has a rating from one to five. Yeah. And it's, that's based on the level of disability they have. Yes, correct. And your team on the pitch can't be more than a certain number of points. How you make it up is up, up to, you. to you. Well, that's, that's how some series work. Things like, uh, and it's quite complicated. Shea Adam is, is with us. Hello, Shea. Hello. Um, and uh, we have had to talk many times, haven't we, about various things in IMSA where you can have... Uh, two golds, two two silvers and a bronze, a bronze, a silver and a gold, but you can't have um, a gold and two silvers. You know, it, which is kind of like what what Nick is saying, isn't it? Very much so, and, and it's a little bit like um, collecting Pokemon cards. You have to be aware of what you already have and not have too many of them, because then when you actually need something else, you're not going to be able to get it. Um, but as you say. The grading system, it's a necessary evil for the way it's been utilized in racing. If there was a more consistent way to enforce the grading, i.e. make it so that there were fewer fast silvers, we might not have this issue with the bronzes. It it, it goes down a very slippery slope very quickly. But yeah. it doesn't sound good when you've got so many loopholes that are open. Right. So the other thing about this that I... And we'll get somebody on from the series. We'll, we'll, we'll try our hardest to get somebody on and get a statement for them. But the other thing here, and I'll, I'll just do a couple of tweets first. Dave Alcock says, is there a problem with bronze drivers in Michelin and Mon Cup? If you've watched the racing through the last couple of seasons, no, the racing's close. Close, it's competitive. I see no gaming of the system to the extent that it needs this. This seems to be Thor's hammer to crack a, a wall nut. Uh, in 
my opinion, says Colin Mullen, that the whole driver rating is poorly handled at the moment. By design, it can work well, but there are too many flaws and anomalies with the drivers in the categories. The Le Mans Cup decision is completely bizarre, though. The, the biggest issue, uh, Kevin Payne says, the biggest issue is I can't help but wonder who decided this was a problem that needed to be solved. All I foresee is this will end up in a committee-led disaster. And Kevin um, uses Thor's hammer and nits, hits the nail, not the walnut, right on the head. What we have at the moment is that if-then situation, Nick. So mm. whatever you think, you make your application, you submit your driver's CV, they check it out, and they come back with an answer. If we are going to... And that's the system for everybody, and everybody knows where it is. IMSA reserved the right to to recategorise drivers based on their performance in IMSA. Other championships do the same. Um, so uh, that kind of works. This is an ACO championship. ACO and the FIA administer this. Basically, what you're saying is, ah, we're going to make exceptions with this, and we're going to start looking at something that was never built into the ratings in the first place, which kind of says the system's broken which yeah. i'm not sure that that's really what they're trying to say i don't i genuinely i read this and i thought what are they trying to achieve yes it's it's like it's it's so easy as you say we, we've, we've sat down for what 30 seconds of thought of ways of gaming it and we're not team managers um <laughs> it's it's I don't understand. I, I, I hmm. sometimes you think they've had the president has had too much time in lockdown for Zoom meetings. <laughs> Could be that. Uh, Peter Kate, who I've driven with in the past, says, "Hang on a minute." He tweeted this earlier on. He said, "Surely a fast bronze is to be celebrated, not penalised." I, I don't disagree uh, with that at all. Alex Brundle looks at That's it from another. That's because you're not a silver, way. though, John. Johnny Morlam, if he was on here right now, Johnny Morlam would say, it doesn't matter what grade you are, doesn't matter what's out there, if you're good enough, you'll get the drive. And, and, and I don't disagree with him on that. And he's somebody who missed out on a lot of drives because he was still, he was a platinum, and then he came down to a gold, and I think he's still a gold, or he may have just come down to a silver on his age. But, but um, Alex Brundle has said that all that's going to happen is the teams, who are very clever, will work out what the optimum pace for their bronze to go is so that they don't trigger any of this. And what will happen when the bronze is in the car, it will cease to become a race as we know it. It will become a, like a regularity trial, Nick. And, and, mm. and I'm not sure that's what this is. We celebrate how robust and how reliable these cars are. And we celebrate how good the the lesser experienced drivers, whether that's because of they're coming up or because they are doing it not as their job, we celebrate how close they can get to pro drivers further up the scale. If they're going to have to drive to effectively a target time to stop them getting um, pit stop penalties, that's, that's going to change the whole, the whole countenance and the whole ethos of the race, isn't it? 100%. I, I, I am sitting here going... Why? And I mean, unless the series only thinks it's going to survive with with the money from rich guys who are, you know, who are on the whole not as quick, and therefore they want to encourage rich guys by saying you won't be penalised by other bronzes being up and coming youngsters, but make sure you, you're rich guy, and this is most important. I don't know. Makes no sense. Doesn't the real slim 
Clerk, he says, um, I, I like absolutes. Pro-am should be binary. Your job is driving cars, pro. You're paying for the car, am. First clause eliminates your Rusinovs Latifis that are paid to drive or your career is driving, whether that career is successful yet or not. Problem with that, uh, uh, RSG, and I, I accept that that looks like the right way to do it, is that probably 75, 80% of the drivers in Formula One and in a lot of other classes, bring money or bring something to the team. There are very few people, even who you think are pro drivers. And at the other end of the scale, and again, you can ask Johnny Morland this, because at Le Mans one year, I said, I've never paid to race a car. And Johnny looked at me and went, what? I said, in fact, I have been paid to race before, albeit only expenses, but effectively, I have been paid. And he looked at me and I said, so does that make me a pro? So does that mean I should be a gold or a platinum? And, and that's where this system takes that out of the equation and it looks at results and experience. Uh, hello to uh, JG, who says, it may take the front out of it for bronze drivers. Who will take their money elsewhere? Plenty of other opportunities. Uh, driver Sam bagging incoming, says Kevin, impossible to balance. Effectively, this is BOP on drivers, which I, and teams as well, by the way, because what it doesn't take into account is if your team does a better job on that day and you have a brand new set of tyres and you're out on the right tyres at the right time, how are you going to do it in wet races that's drying and all of a sudden you're on the right set and you're 10 seconds quicker than the silvers a lap because they're on the wrong set? Hmm. Not sure. Uh, your thoughts, please. At Specutainment. Uh, let's move on. Tim, where would you like to go next? Uh, I'd like to go to the Asian Le Mans series, but we'll come back to that in a moment uh, because it's been 13 years since Champion Racing retired from the world of motorsport. After claiming their third consecutive ALMS drivers and teams titles in 2008, the 2005 Le Mans winners called time on the competition arm, but they're back this year taking on the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb with the Porsche GT2 RS Club Sport, and they've got Roman Dumas to drive it. Earlier this week, John spoke to Mitra Mirage and Mike Peters from Champion, and first asked what they'd been doing to keep busy since they last raced. So what we've been doing is selling cars, really. <laughs> you know, uh, we've been focused in the last couple of years with the electrification of, uh, you know, the new Porsche Taycan and, and really uh, focusing on infrastructure and marketing and, and you know, pre- prepping for the future. It used to be said that I think you sold more uh, Porsches uh, from the champion showrooms than quite a lot of countries did. Uh, you're still a massive, massive Porsche dealer down there in Florida. Yeah, yeah, we're still uh, the number one new car sales in in North America, and um, yeah, and we sell more than some countries still. <laughs> I must remember that next time. I, <laughs> next time I come down, I need to come and talk to you. I really do. Uh, right, so Mitra, you've been away for a while. Why now, and why this event, the Pikes Peak International? hill climb because it's not one for the faint-hearted but why was now the right time first of all well pike's peak has always been an interesting you know story since i was a kid and watching videos like the Peugeots and the walter roll and the audi it was exciting as a kid and since they paved it you know it, you could bring a lot more assortment of vehicles and porsche has offered a gt2 club sport that's you know it proves to be 
you know, a, a well-balanced car for the hill climb. Uh, it certainly is. Mike Peters, Mike, great to speak to you again. Come on, tell me the truth. I know you've been uh, being kept busy uh, in the, the champion dealerships, but you've been hankering for a bit of motorsport, have you, for this last decade or so? Well, I will say that when Mitchell came to visit, I said, you asked me to run the dealership and run the business. I can't go racing again. But that didn't last long, about 30 minutes, and we were on to trying to find a way to get the car. So, And, and this is an event. First of all, the car. We've got to talk about the car. Uh, uh, 911 Porsche uh, RS Club Sport. Now, I watched one of these go up the hill uh, last year, up the mountain last year, and David Donner very nearly made himself, I think, a fall time king of the mountain and he was just over a second away from the best time and that's the time that you guys are going to have to beat 9.36.559 is what you're looking at that is extremely fast for effectively a street based car yeah I mean uh, we we sponsored uh, David Donner and Pete Stout and, and collaborated with them you know they only had three weeks to prep for that race too so hats off to to david you know he definitely definitely knows his way around the mountain tell me about your driver choice because uh although he's not american he does have some porsche credentials just one or two and he is four times a king of the mountain including the outright record holder he he uh, he definitely uh, fell in to our lap with uh, an opportunity. We weren't sure we were going to be able to get him, but we knew that bringing him on board would be more than just a driver. He brings so much experience, having been there, and um, you know his the rest of his race history really says it all. Anyway, so. Uh, and Mitra, did you guys approach Roman Dumas, or did he come to you? Did I, I, I take it? He, if you did go to him, he didn't take much. He didn't take much encouragement to say yes. Uh, we we seeked out and to just have a chat with him at first, you know, just to see where he was at and and see where you know the whole COVID thing going on. And he came back and said, "You know what? I would do it." And I looked at Mikey and we had a call with him. He said. Me and Mikey looked at each other and we were like, he's our guy. We we, we got to pursue it. You know, he knows everything about the mountain. Well, he's, he's been up there in such a variety of vehicles, including, actually, I think when he was first there in 2012, something not, Mike, dissimilar from what you're going to give him to attack Pikes Peak International Hill Climb this year. He has driven up there in a Porsche before, but oddly... Of course, because of where his career is, he's never been a champion driver before, has he? This is true. Yeah, we, he hasn't. We, the only time we used to see him in the paddock is when we used to race against him with the RS Spiders. First diesel, you know, and, and that's pretty much it. What are you looking for out of this, then, and then Mitra, uh, in terms of, obviously, the, the Pikes Peak in National Hill Climb is... is is brilliantly bonkers. And I say that having having been there and having commentated on it a couple of times more. 
unique in the fact that you never get to, to practice the whole thing in, in one go and sometimes you don't even get to do it in order, which completely freaks me out. I don't know how the guys do that. So what, what are you expecting to get out of this um, in terms of the event itself and subsequently for, for champion and for champion Porsche and the new champion motorsport? So the, the whole plan about it was to, to basically race on Sunday, sell on Monday for the dealership, you know, go up the mountain, drive in a Porsche. It's, it's great exposure. And, you know, to be with Roman in a good car, I think, you know, we got a good shot at the, the class that we've entered. I think it, all in the end, it's just going to be a great exposure from Porsche and champion. Time Attack One is is the is the class that you'll be in, Mike. Are you ready for this? And are you going to be there and and take off your dealership hat and put your your old gear back on again and get your stopwatches out and your clipboards and all that sort of stuff and get your team manager head back back together again? Yeah, for sure, going to do that. It's it's actually been taking place already. I'm I'm dual duty again, uh, getting things organized with this event. Um, it's amazing. It's, it's under 10 minutes of runtime, but it's going to take months and months of effort and work to get it all put together the way we need it to be in order to be competitive and win. When do you get the car, Mike? Uh, December. Right after Christmas. End, yeah, right after, right was, after Christmas. January 5th, I think, or 6th. Yeah, our New Year's Day gift flown in. <laughs> and there's not that much, Mike, that you can do to stay within the regulations of time attack one it, it has to be things like the the engine and the fueling and, and all that sort of stuff has to be pretty stock as it's come out uh, from from porsche have to say it by the way that the car itself the gt2 um rs club sport is actually a, a fairly um impressive beast to start with but what can you do and how do you prepare then for something as as different as pike's peak we're working within the rules guidelines that they've laid out for us. Mostly um, aerodynamics are the stuff that we can make adjustments with. The car doesn't need to go fast. It needs to go quick from corner to corner. So that's really where our focus is. Um, you know, some balance with the car. Um, we're very close to our, our uh, tire situation uh, being sorted out. And um, we're... Uh, we're really just focusing in, in, in that aerodynamics area. And it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a struggle and we could find ourselves having to move into another um, category prior to the event. It's, it's possible. We just don't, we don't know yet. We're trying to keep the officials abreast of how we're doing, what we're doing and how things are coming together. So, and that's purely because the time attack one class regs are really quite, quite tight. There is a, um, there's an open class uh, as well, which uh, Peter Cunningham um, uh, won uh, or set the record for in 2019 in a TLX. Um, but that, that's a bit more specialised and that's, a, that's another 12, 14 seconds quicker uh, than the, the car went uh, last year. Is that realistic then, Mike, that if you have to go into another class, you can still be competitive? Yeah, I think I think so. Well, it depends on how things come together with what we're working on right now. And I do believe that would be the class, the Pikes Peak Open class. Right. We already had some discussions about it with them. And uh, we're really, we feel like we're going to be fine where we're at. 
but they may make some decisions to say, no, you need to go ahead and jump over the other class. We'll, we'll have to just see as we progress forward. Oh. Either way, we're still competing for the overall time. And if we can win the class, it'd be great. Where do you go to practice, Mitra? I mean, Roman knows he's way up the hill. There's no doubt about that. He knows the mountain. They say the mountain chooses. But he, he knows, and he knows the right things to say and do to the mountain, What whatever weird sacrifices have to be made to Pikes Peak. But where where do you go to, to test the car, to, to, to see if the stuff that you Mike's talking about there, where, where can you go? Because you, I, I don't know of a racetrack that's 14,000 feet above sea level where you can test your aero. So the, the, the testing is really look for smaller circuits with low top speeds, with some bumps, and something that hasn't been re- resurfaced. You look for something with no grip. And, you know, we plan on testing it probably, you know, okay, we're at sea level, but we, we do have the heat because that, that's one thing we could test that is, you know, the efficiency, the efficiency of the air temperatures and radiator temperatures at, you know, our humidity, which is the air gets thin at the top of Pikes Peak. So we, we, we have some some testing plans in, in the upcoming months. <laughs> yeah, start getting the jacks out and pushing everything up, up towards the, the clouds. Maitre, if, if I don't ask you this, if I don't ask you this, um, I'll get I'll get strung up by our listeners. Um, fantastic to see the graphics, the, the traditional livery already on the press releases. Can't wait to see the car when it's eventually... Um, formalized and you've got the final spec sorted but does this mean for champion motorsport that there's a future beyond this well the the we're really focused on pike speak right now and um you you never know what the future can bring you never know with how imsa is going or how racing is going in the future you know we we me and mikey always look at it and you know, you see the racing worlds in the, it's different, you know, hybrid cars and electric, electrification for the future, you know, Porsche's goal in 2025 is to be, you know, 50% electric. And how does that do on the world of motorsport? Mm-hmm. You know, Porsche has pulled out factory and, and IMSA, you know, but they're supporting customer cars. So who and knows where the future goes? Such a history, uh, Mike Peters, of, of Porsche customer racing across the world, but particularly in IMSA and American endurance racing. And I look at something like the recently announced GT Daytona Pro Class, and I immediately think of champion racing and a 38 or a 74 car in the livery with factory drivers in it. That that jumped straight into my mind even before this announcement came out am i am i dreaming is it my hopeful heart <laughs> i would say it's a really good dream um but it's just i would say it's it's a it's a we're gonna we'll look at it it's we're, too we're early gonna look to at everything too early to tell where we might end up but um you know we're gonna we're gonna do this and and see how we see how we do you never know we may we may find ourselves turning around and saying that's it this was too crazy for us <laughs> or it could do exactly like it did some 20 odd years ago where Dave says, let's go racing. So 
uh, Mitra, Mitra's of the same bloodline. So you, you never know where it may end up. Light the blue tech touch paper and stand back, ladies and gentlemen. Champion are back in motorsport. Mike Peters, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Mitra Mohaj, thank you so much. Brilliant to You're know th- those multicoloured, that multicoloured livery is coming back to motorsport. Um, and, and Mitra, will you come back and keep us updated as we get close to the event in, in the middle of the year? Sure, you'll see the, you know, we'll do the announcement of the car and delivery and you'll be able to see it. Sounds, awesome, thanks again. Sounds good to me, guys. Thanks very much for talking to us on Midweek Motorsport. You're welcome. Thanks. That's not been the only uh, Pikes Peak announcement uh, this week because there's going to be an IndyCar driven up this year. Yes, yeah, there is. With uh, J.R. Hildebrand behind the wheel. Oh, yes, they're going to be, so champion are going to be battling an IndyCar for the King of the Mountain title. Um, uh, it's all uh, pavement now, of course, which means you can take all kinds of weird and wonderful things up there. JR is going up um, with his team, Tim. Yes, and yeah. uh, the current DW12 Dallara IndyCar. Right. I think that's going to be very interesting because it's been a while since we've seen something like that go up. It's going to be interesting to see how it handles. Uh, it's not a flat circuit, so they'll have to run, uh, not flat run. It's not a racetrack, but IndyCars, you know, have somewhat of a higher ride height for a, a single seater. They have to because they run on all kinds of weird, wonderful things. Um, the open wheel record um, hasn't been improved much over the last few years. So, um, I... I <sighs> I would have to say um, that I don't know what their times are actually. It's going to be a lot slower than the eight minutes. I know. Do you know what? It's not. It's about the same. So, Time Attack One is David Donner, which I mentioned, which was set two years ago in a GT2 RS Club Sport at nine thirty-six five. The a the 2020 record was set in open wheel with Clint uh, Vashholtz, which I watched, which was a Ford open wheeler, which was 9.35.4. That is the current record. But that wasn't a... That wasn't an IndyCar. No. That was a, a home-built type of thing that Clint put together himself. Peter Cunningham's 2019 time in the open class was a 24, 9.24.3. And of course, the outright uh, record uh, is for unlimited, and that is 7.57.1. Roman Dematic in 30 seconds of um, more than that, I think, of uh, Sebastian Loeb's time. And that was in the, that's also the electric record as well, of course, because that was the IDR, Pikes mm. Peak. And that was 2018. That was the last time I was there, the time that I. Was that uh, Shea? Great to see Mike Peters. Great to hear Mike Peters uh, and Mitra Mirage um, uh, on, on the show. And great to have Champion back. Your family and your dad in particular with uh, real connections to Dave Mirage and, and the Champion Racing brand. Yeah, and um, Mitra would back me up on this, but Dave used to tell me how proud he was of me and how he always turns on IMSA radio whenever there's an IMSA mm. race. They can't 
not watch. They can't not pay attention. And I know Mitra and Mike were talking a little bit about how they're following IMSA to try and see if there is an opening to come back and when champion can sort of dip a toe back into that pond. Mm. They never really left. They've been there and thereabouts. And Mike Peters has been in the paddock quite a bit over the last few years. He's been working with other teams. It, it's not going to be a learning curve for them to get back in the swing of things at all. The only thing I'm worried about, quite frankly, is all my Florida people trying to breathe on the mountain because when you're 12,000 feet up, that's difficult. <laughs> it's, great. Uh, it's great for weight loss. I can tell you that. You yeah. don't have to do much exercise to to lose weight. We'll keep an eye on that. I've got some more IMSA news for you uh, in a moment. Take a few tweets before we move on. The Advantage, talking about the uh, new Bronze Plus, said uh, Le Mans Cup could always try to do what China GT wanted to do. That was seven levels. Professional, Platinum Pro, Platinum, Professional Gold Pro Gold, Professional Silver Pro Silver, Gentleman Platinum and Platinum, Gentleman Gold and Gold, Gentleman Silver and Silver, Gentleman Bronze and Bronze. No. No, no, no. Uh, And seven times uh, no there. Uh, This from... uh, Johannes says, clearly there aren't enough metals in the current system. Why not use the whole table of elements? Uh, uh, this week, your uranium. Um, yes, but is that 236 or 238? Um, well, this like, 235. Like, like, over time. It's grades over time. It's perfect. Oh, yes, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Uh, yes, nuclear elements. I suggested um, that uh, you, you might want to use the rare earth uh, elements that y- you have to dig 50 tonnes out of the Earth's crust to get a kilogram of stuff that goes into batteries and um, low um, energy light bulbs. Uh, are we going to have a special vegan class as well? Uh, JJ says every child gets a prize. This is the North London Sports Day. Mm, yes, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, race them by budget. <laughs> That's a good one. The serious thing about this year is, um, uh, just to, f- to finish on this before we move on to IMSA, that GT Daytona already has those issues, and adding GTD Pro onto that is only going to exacerbate that before you even get <laughs> to adding other driver categories. Yeah, for sure. And thankfully, GTD Pro is not going to be based on the driver rating. It's not like you're going to be automatically sorted in. As I understand it, it's more of an opt-in situation. So it gives drivers the opportunity to race against the better teams and potentially try to beat them if they feel that they can. So I really like that idea based on race who you want to race and not race who we think you're capable of racing because it's it's kind of like when you go to the go-kart track and they put you with the category of little kids and you're like no no i want to go beat the pros who have painted helmets yeah yeah exactly right and that's about a lot of people want to do they want to pick themselves against the best uh Tim, you have a point on this before we move on. I don't have uh, an extra story, which is in the Asian Le Mans series where we've had a double oh, okay. victory uh, in the first two races. Oh, we're not going to do Imsen news then? Uh, after this. Okay. After, uh, uh, sorry, the 26 G Drive Racing Hours, uh, Gibson uh, was the winner of both races. Rene Binder, Ferdinand Habsburg, and Yifei Yi uh, behind the wheel of that. Watch both the races at the weekend. Uh, I thought Dubai was uh, stood up to what we expected um, in terms of how it raced. Uh, there were some good battles down the field, not at the front. few mistakes made tactically and by the drivers in the top class, the LMP2 class, but some interesting racing in, in GT. 
and to a certain extent in LMP3. The next two races uh, kick off this weekend. That's the end of the season. So by mm. Sunday, we'll, we'll, we'll know who champions. are the champions. And we who might gets the know Le Mans champions before that, of course. Well, we t- yes, uh, we do. Uh, and they're at Yas Marina, of course. Yeah, LMP3, both races won by the uh, 23 United Autosports Ligier, with mm-hmm. uh, Roy Penton and Wayne Boyd and uh, Manuel Maldonado. Uh, LMP2 Am had split winners, different car one on each race. I think there was only t- two or three entries in that, wasn't there? Uh, so it's the number 18 era motorsport Orica um, that won. ERA, by the way, I'm told, okay. by the team. Um, won the first race, didn't they? Yeah. Um, didn't they win the second? No, they, yeah. the second. they won the second race. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah. So that's Yas at the weekend, available on the series website and YouTube page if you want to watch that. And also in the UAE uh, and specifically Dubai at the weekend, a champion was crowned. Was that a single-seater champion? That's Enzo F3. Truly. Asian F3. Oh, no, it's... Uh, Asian F4. UAE, UAE F4. F4. Enzo Truly uh, won that uh, by holding off uh, Delano Van Hoff uh, in the final race at Dubai. Mm. He's only 15, and it's uh, only his uh, first season of racing. Share uh, with some uh, IMSA news. A uh, bit of quiet, relatively quiet news week, Cher. Um Funny enough, I've got another class revision story on one of the support classes that we can quickly mention. The new Porsche Carrera Cup North America. The rookie class that they were planning has been um, taken into, effectively taken. Absorbed. Yes, absorbed. Thank you. Very good word. Um, The pro class, uh, which has to use the new 992s. And we'll talk to... uh, Seb Prior uh, in the second hour. In fact, in a few minutes' time, if we can get him on the line from... Um, actually, he's not at home at the moment. He's actually in the UK. He's uh, on the mainland because uh, he's been testing uh, the car, I believe. Um, <laughs> but but we've got... So what have we got now, then? Okay. Very simple. Pro, which is people going for the overall championship. Yeah. Pro-Am, which is drivers who are 45 years or older as of December 31st, 2020, so, what, 50 days ago or so? And then a Pro-Am 991 class. So that's grandfathered cars from last year into the series, but it's only going to run for one year. So after this year is over, after the 2021 season is complete, we should only have the two categories for Pro and Pro-Am. Okay. Uh, Any other... And the rookie class will effectively be part of the pro class because they're expecting that the rookie drivers are likely to be career drivers and therefore will be in the pro class. Um, Any other IMSA stories then? Uh, We're expecting close to 30 cars for that series, the Career Cup North America. Um, That's not really a story and it's not really been talked about yet, but that is a a very large number for that uh, category. I think the only other story was something that we actually hit on after the show, which was Mazda's announcement of their refocusing of their motorsport. Yeah, very good. Um, Sadly, they won't run to the end of the current rule set in DPI and Mazda prototypes will be no more at the end of this season, which leaves Multimatic looking for another manufacturer as well, of course. I somehow think that won't be an issue for them. Uh, Current (laughs) drivers, Harry Tinknell, full season drivers, Harry Tinknell and 
Ollie Jarvis also looking for drives. See above comments. Although, yeah. in, in fairness, you know, nothing is ever ever a, a, a shoe in It allows Mazda to concentrate on MX-5, which uh, the Intermittent MX-5 Cup uh, presented by BF Goodrich Tyres has sort of morphed into a destination, not just somewhere that people pass through, Shea. Very much so. And to be honest, I'm kind of okay with this. And I, I hate to say it almost in a whisper because Mazda is grassroots racing. Mazda mm. is about creating the next generation of driver. And we have so many drivers in our paddock that we have to thank Mazda for giving them an opportunity, for putting them on the scene. It's just one of those things that you really, and I'm, I'm not just saying this again because it's you and I getting to call the races. There's so much fun to concentrate on the Itamitsu MX-5 Cup Challenge that when you think about getting into a situation where there's going to be potentially more money funneled into the scholarships, more money yeah, to help point. these young drivers coming through, I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it as a really good opportunity for more people to start their careers. Yeah, and uh, as we said with Michael Carter last week, $375,000 in his bank account over the last three years makes a sound business decision to stay in that championship. Uh, Thanks to Shea and to Nick for the moment. At Speculatement, if you'd like to get in touch with us, the second hour starts right now. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No? Okay then, it's Midweek Motorsport, and still to come. Uh, Well, I suspect more of your tweets at Specutainment uh, will also be uh, welcoming back Declan Brennan, the race tool, as we look back on the Daytona 500, and more particularly the career to date of the man who won the race and the team uh, for whom he drives. Perhaps we shouldn't have all been as surprised as seemingly a lot of people were. But we'll start our number two with our big interview this week. A driver who has just announced he will be in that Porsche Carrera Cup North America that we have just been talking about. Midweek Motorsports Series 16, Episode 7. It's just after 9 o'clock in the UK. Motorsport on RS1. Well, delighted to say that joining us on Midweek Motorsport now is a young man whose career we have been following for a very long time. And his dad's, and his granddad's, uh, third or fourth generation driver. Let's ask Sebastian Prio. Welcome to Midweek Motorsport, Seb. Are you third or do you count yourself as fourth generation third. racing driver? Firstly, thank you for having me on the show. But um, fourth, actually, I'm the yeah. fourth generation um, of, of of driving. So uh, yeah, you didn't have much choice then, really, did you? It's 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 the family business almost. Exactly. I know. I've, I've been basically brought up with it. I watched my dad for many years in uh, in touring car, and uh, and my pop. Well, not so much my pop, but I've watched my dad, you know, throughout the whole racing his career. So it got me into it. Hill climb was where he started. N- never any thoughts of going into that. You know, it's a very technical you know hill climbing is very different to road course stuff and um i think i've done one hill climb in, in my career but not not like my dad did um you know my pop he they raced quite a lot out there in you know national hill climbs in england um but i i only done really road course stuff um but yeah i think it's one of those things where you've got to be really on the edge you know 
We've got you on to talk about a couple of things. One, because of your recent announcement uh, to go and drive with Kelly Moss Road and Race in the new for 2021 Porsche Carrera Cup North America. Uh, this is very exciting. First of all, tell us how that came about, sir. So, yeah, firstly, just can't thank, you know, Malty Manic enough and, and Kelly Moss as well. They're one of the best teams in, in the Porsche Carrera Cup. So, you know, really off good opportunity for me. And, you know, literally, you know, only probably about a month ago, um, I actually knew about this. So it's quite late, you know, um, normally, you know, you know, quite early. But um, it's, one, it's you know, one of those years where it's tricky, you know, to find stuff. And mm. I think this is perfect for me. And, and Malty Matic put me in the great position, um, you know, Larry and uh, Raj, uh, you know, at Multimatic, great, great opportunity for me they've given me. So, um, and, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I've never driven a, you know, rear engine car. So um, learning that was is, is amazing. And I absolutely, you know, bonded it really well. So I, I love, I love this um, opportunity. That's Larry Holt and Raj Nair that Seb was talking about there up at, at Multimatic. Uh, right. Okay. So very different i would have thought from what you've been used to uh, we've seen you successfully driving in imsa with uh, gt4 cars um and those cars uh, abs uh traction control cup cars engine in a different place so completely different weight balance no abs However, brand new car for this year. So in some ways, Seb, this is the best year to go there because it's a it's a level playing field for everybody, I suppose. Exactly, John. You know, it's a fresh start. It's a very different car to drive. Um, <laughs> and it, it really suits my driving style, um, you know. And I think this year, actually, we have ABS in the car. No traction. But, oh, yes, um, of course. Traction control, yes. But we have, we have now ABS in the car. But last year, they didn't. But um, this year, we've got it. So that's actually sort of helped the braking sort of technique half of it because i know this car is quite tricky to on the brakes you know it's a great great like i said opportunity for me to you know step in and and do you know do a good job really when you say it suits your driving style seb what what do you mean by that i i see you as a an aggressive driver but a smooth driver you take a lot of pace to the apex of a corner now in a nicely balanced car that's great if you've got a twitchy car that can become a handful very quickly you're good enough to hold on to that but then you're going to root your tires so what do you mean about your driving style so yeah what i'm meaning is um with this car you've got to carry a lot of speed to the apex but you've got to be patient as well with with the throttle and um it's what you know got to let that car rotate because it's you know all the weights at the rear so Mm. that transition of weight you know you've got to be very careful because you can pick up a lot of understeer if you pick up the power too early and with with this car i like to just carry a lot of speed in rotate the car it's got a lot of grip and then hit hit the throttle on full throttle and you when the car squats down it's got all that weight at the rear so you don't have any problem with traction and uh it's it's uh it's just one of those cars that is a proper proper race car and uh, you know it really shows driving if you're driving well you know Look, you, you can be quick. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Very, very... You, you yeah. make a very good point there that it's a proper race car. Yes, we know it's based on a road-going 911, now the 992 body shape. All of the road cars are wide bodies, so the race car is wide body. For the first time, I think, we've got different diameter wheels on the front and the rear. Again, that uh, echoes the the road car as well a um, little bit more power a uh, few more toys to play with as, as you've mentioned but but this is a car that's going to be very quick and uh, it is called a gt3 cup so it is breathed on 
by Vysak. So what we're talking about here are we is just trying to go for a championship here and, and enhance your career? Do you know what, John? That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm you know very dedicated to what I do. And um, I think Larry, like I said, Larry Holt, my boss at Multimatic, he, he's given me a great opportunity to showcase my uh, you know, my, my talent, hopefully. And um, I think, you know, Crow Cup is probably one of the toughest championships in the, in the world mm. because it's, it's all one mate series. Um, you've got no, you know, got balance of performance, none of that. It's, uh, it's all <laughs> to do with you. And, uh, you know, if you make a mistake, it shows quite, quite a lot. So, you know, and I think for me, um, a lot, I've always done sprint racing in my career. You know, I've only just started doing endurance racing, but, you know, back in the UK, I, I've done British Formula 4, you know, the juniors, all sprint racing. I've done very well in that. So, mm. you know, it's back to where I started with my roots. And, you know, my, my father has done a lot of you know, touring cars where he's just worked on himself. And I think, you know, that is good for me to just work on myself also and, and to do the best I can. Why the American series, Seb? You could have done this in the UK. You could have done Carrera Cup in the UK and not had to worry about travel, which, let's be honest, is a logistical nightmare for everybody uh, at the moment. So why back to the States? I, I love it out here. Um, you know, it's more down to my you know, my boss, Larry, um, get, getting me out here. But I, I love racing in IMSA. I think it's one of the best championships in the world. Um, I... I I just love the tracks. There's a lot more opportunity out here for me. Um, I think once you establish yourself in America, it's quite hard to establish yourself, first of all. And once you're out here, then you are established, you know, as a driver. So I think personally, my aim is I want to be a full-time, you know, IMSA driver at some point. And, you know, and that's what I'm aiming at. So I think out here, being out here and establishing myself as a good driver is what I'm aiming for. And I take it that Kelly Moss Road and Race was a fairly easy choice. I've done the... Night of Champions for Porsche, which is normally on the Friday night of Petit Le Mans the last few years, uh, for some years now, and I always seem to be handing some silverware over to them. They know which way is up. Oh, they do. I mean, already, I just met them, you know, last week, and I can see the detail they have in the car, um, how clean it is. You know, it, it just shows that it's a great race team, and one that I've got a good chance to win the championship this year, and, uh, you know, they have good ties with Multimatic, they're very close, and, um, you know, I think it's just one of the best teams I could have gone with. So I'm really excited. I'm very envious of you. There's nothing quite like the bark of a flat six um, in on a racetrack or even when you fire it up on the drive. We've got a couple uh, here and I smile even before I've driven the car off the drive when I fire up my old air-cooled 993. You have driven the car already. Did a couple of days testing? Yeah, did a couple of days. Um, just, just you know, test day is not official. Um, in the, the old nine nine, uh, the nine one one. So, um, ah. yeah, it was it was a good good car. Um, we don't actually get the new car till uh, the first week of March in the nine nine two. So, um, it was really good to learn the old car as well because I've got now a good reading of that. Um, I had a really good couple of days testing and matching the times already. So, uh, of the the race pace last year. So, you know, I'm, I'm really really excited. I've got a lot to learn, but I'm really. It's a really good couple of days, and you know I'm really confident. Did you did, were you driving with the new tyre then, or was that on last year's tyre? Yeah. So yeah, I was actually on the new Michelin. So I'm, ah. I'm not. We don't know too much yet already if that's fast or slow. I think it could be a little bit faster than you know the Yokohama. Um, but I think the, you know the, I love the Michelin. I think they've always been a great tyre, one of the best ones, and really suit my driving style. I, I asked you about why the US, and clearly you know. Um, the circuits out there, you enjoy them as many European drivers do because they feel they can make a difference there. The the other side of this now being 
a Carrera Cup in America for the first time, by the way, in the history, in the long history of of Carrera Cup. It's the first time we've had a Carrera Cup North America. There is a junior programme which Porsche have not been able to do before in the States. And there's an opportunity to go to the shootout at the end of the year and compete on equal terms with with the other shootout um, uh, competitors having raced on the same tyre as them all year. That's got to be something in the back of your mind as well. Exactly, John. Um, you know, that is, you know, my aim. I'm yeah, I'm always focusing just on this year, but I mean, if I do well, uh, I think that would be definitely one, one thing I want to do. And, uh, you know, I think being a junior driver of the Porsche and maybe doing Super Cup in America, uh, sorry, North, in Europe, sorry, yeah. um, it's going to be, that would be one of the toughest championships I've ever done. So, and if I can win that, it really opens some doors, to, you know, for GT racing that, you know, I'm a good driver, you know. You know from the family connections that making a, a partnership, making a relationship with a manufacturer is a very important thing to do. And Jackie Stewart told me a very, very long time ago when I was interviewing him that it's it's much better to keep the people that you know in terms of, of racing partnerships. You're still quite a young lad. How old are you now, um, Seb? So I've just turned just turned twenty um, in January. <laughs> you make me feel <laughs> so still young. You, you do you do make me feel very old, even when you say that. But yeah, but you are I say that to my dad as well. I, I don't. I bet your dad is. <laughs> I, I bet your mum's worse. To be fair, um, say hi <laughs> yeah. to both of them for me, by the way. Um, so so you're still a very young man in terms of your motor racing career. Um, why do you think it's right to be doing this now in GT and endurance racing rather than pursue a single-seater career? You know, John, I think that's a good question. And I, I, you know, I've always had the aim to do Formula 1, and I still have to, because I think in, in racing you've got to aim high, mm-hmm. and, and you, you know, you've know got to be on it all the time. If you, you, lose, you know, lose that for concentration one second, you're going to be at the back, so you've got to be on it. Um, I think the reason is there's a lot more opportunity, like I said before, in America and in sports car, you can have a good living uh, and, and you're one of the best drivers in the world. I think, you know, a lot of drivers um, are underrated in, in endurance racing because you put them in an F1 car, they'll be just as quick as anyone. So I think it's just one of those things, you know, with, with F1, it's hard to get there. Um, you don't have to always be the best driver to get there, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> well, so, well, I mean, you know, nobody in Formula One can't drive. Let's let's be absolutely that honest that about true. that. But there are other ways of getting to Formula One other than other than through through talent. And, and frankly, I've said this many times before, Seb, and I'll say this to you. If you are a works driver, it doesn't matter whether you are a works driver in a Mazda MX-5 in a British touring car, in a Porsche or in a prototype. If you're a works driver, you're the best of that because manufacturers don't take on people to drive their works cars who aren't the very best. And therefore, they expect a certain level of performance in and out of the car, don't they? You know, exactly. And I think um, you've got to be at the top of the game, whatever you're doing, you know, even if it's MX-5, top, you know, everything at the top, top three drivers at the top of the championship are going to be hard to beat. And it's every championship's hard to win. And my father's told me, you know, it's nearly impossible to win a race and it's even more impossible to win a championship because <laughs> it's it's very hard, you know. And uh, I think, you know, I my aim is to do Le Mans and that, that is what I want to do. And I'm oh, working at that. And, and I, I, you know, whatever it is, driving for Porsche, driving for whatever, I'm, I'm going to aim for that. So, and I think I'm in the right step at the moment, like I said, to do Porsche. Um, so I think 
it's really good to learn this car and for the future, I think, as well. Looking at the next few years of endurance racing with LMDH and Hypercar at Le Mans, is that where you're looking at if you've got a medium at least a medium-term plan. Are you thinking to yourself, right, I, I, this is where I want to be? Yeah, John, I think that's exactly right what you're saying. I, I want to be, that's my aim. Um, I want to be winning races outright. Um, and I, as much as I love, GT, I love GT racing as well, you know, GTLM, I love that stuff, you know, like my father's done that for a long time. I want to be doing something, you know, exactly like Harry Titner. I know Harry really well. And uh, I think I, I, want to, I want to be there. That's my aim. But I've got to go through the ranks first and I've got to, you know, can't just get there straight away it takes time and um i've got to you know like establish myself as a really good top driver um and and you know one of those cars is very difficult to drive and um, a lot of pressure so and then uh, you know it's you have, to, you have to be at the top of your game when you're driving those cars there's a lot of stuff that goes on so mm. yeah uh, and yes as as you say it's about apprenticeship uh, driving in uh, i've always said this Multi-class racing, the only way to learn multi-class racing is to do multi-class racing. And whether that's the Michelin Pilot Challenge or the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship or indeed driving in the WEC at Le Mans, you learn about it by, by doing it with other cars at other speeds on the track. Sometimes you're the fastest class, sometimes you're not. You mentioned multi, Multimatic, Seb. Your, your um, partnership with Multimatic and, and Larry Holt and, and, and Raj now, that continues? It does continue. I'm still with Multimatic this year. I'm still really happy driving for them. Um, phenomenal company, giving me a great opportunity to, to drive in a Porsche. Um, I am driving also for Kelly Moss, but um, mainly my car is going to be Multimatic um, branded and stuff. So um, okay. um, I'm going to be drive. I'm driving still, you know, like I would in the Ford Mustang, still driving for through uh, Multimatic. Um, so I think. It, yeah, obviously it looks different. It looks like I'm, you know, I, I've moved to um, Kelly Moss, but I'm still driving for Multimatic, but uh, for Kelly Moss. But yeah, yeah. So Kelly Moss are running the the Cup car effectively, but you're still a Multimatic driver. So you're going to be doing double duty some weekends then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm just literally just focusing on on the Porsche this year. Um, but uh, I think you know Larry's also Larry's you know always got stuff for me. So I'm um, I'm really really excited. It's this is such a good opportunity. Um, and to drive for Kelly Moss, I mean, they're they're amazing, amazing team. Um, stuff they've done, you know, back in the day, um, really, really special. Probably one of the best Porsche teams in America, I think. And easy to get along with as well. Good set of people, which is so important when you're going to spend um, so much uh, time with them down through the uh, the IMSA season uh, this year. You said you enjoyed uh, racing in the states. What is it about the US paddocks? And possibly tracks and and competition. What is it that you that you enjoy particularly? Good question. Um, me and my father talk about this a lot, and um, you know, I think it's it's more to do with just how nice people you know are. I think you know in America it's a you know different approach to racing, which I absolutely love it. And I think um, I, I love how they're just it's just fun, you know, and it's 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 a very professional but fun. I think. It's it's just a great way to you know there are a lot of fans that got a lot of emotion. I mean at the moment obviously not so, but uh, I mean when I went to Road Atlanta, it's fans oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just they love it you know and it's it's actually that passion you need when you're driving you know you feel like a hero on track and I think that's something that's really really valuable to to drivers you know to feel that and that support you get from everyone around and that's what I love about America and I you know what I got, I've got to be honest I love the weather as well <laughs> weather's lovely <laughs> out there and. Um, Tracks also, the tracks are phenomenal. I think old school, 
no runoff, no track limits, really. Um, not like you get in, you know, you know, in, the, in Europe with with WEC and stuff. You've got to be careful with track limits. But here, it's if you've got track limits, you're off in the barrier. So <laughs> it's one of those things. You're on the grass or in the barrier. That's your track limits. So you better stay on the darker stuff, the dark hard <laughs> stuff. Yes, you, you learn that very quickly. I can t- tell from yeah. bitter experience. Um, you are first on track then for your practice session at three o'clock. Uh, on in the afternoon of St Patrick's Day, March the seventeenth, at Sebring for the uh, first event in the Porsche Carrera Cup North America. You said you weren't getting the cars till till March, so that's going to be a bit of a tight tight schedule to get the cars shaken down. And are you going to be learning on the job there effectively at Sebring? My goodness. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough ask. I think. Um, I th- hopefully, it's the same sort of tendency as the old car and uh, the old Cup car, but I think. This is this is going to be tricky because it's a new car for everyone. Um, I, I think it's actually a little bit quicker, but my understanding, I think it's a little bit more like a GTE car, mm. uh, more than a bit wider, bigger tyres, a bit more aero. So I think it's going to be a couple seconds quicker than the old car, and I think that's going to be pretty quick, close to GTD times, I think, around there. So I've yeah. not I've not seen a full entry list yet. I suspect that we'll we'll find out. Uh, Daniel Ambruster, Dr. Daniel Ambruster, who looks after Porsche motorsport in the US was saying they were hoping to get a minimum of 15 of the new 992s and possibly as many as 20. There will be a secondary class this year in this first year of the new Carrera Cup to take the old 991s in as well, the Gen 2 991s. Um, have you have you heard or seen or, you know, as they go, have the guys at Kelly Moss mentioned anything about who else might be in there and where your competition might be coming from? Do you know what? I asked them actually, and they said it's it's booming. So I think it's more than even that. I reckon. I, I don't know exactly um, the numbers, but I think they said there's a lot of entries. I don't know if that was the nine one one as well, mm-hmm. but I, I think it looks like a really hard year this year, and I think there's at least twenty plus drivers in it. So I think it's going to be a really really busy grid. And, and you know that that does add with the two classes that do, that does add a little bit of uh, a little bit of an extra dimension uh, to it uh, as well although races are around about 50 minutes unless somebody has an issue you shouldn't be doing lapped traffic you mentioned it being a sprint race and we'll finish off with this thought because I've, I've taken a lot of your time and thanks Seb no, very no, much um, you mentioned it being a sprint race but at 50 minutes five zero minutes that's almost isn't it a, a stint in a GT car? Probably is actually a stint in a GT car. So managing those Michelin tyres from when the car's very heavy at the start to as it lightens up and burns fuel off, and getting the setup. There's only a certain amount of setup you can do on a on a cup car. Working with your team, you, you, you've got to get that right, haven't you? Yeah, John, that's very important to get that right. I think this car, like I was mentioning before, is is a, a real race car. And I think drop off there's always going to be drop off the tire um but this is you know you've got the weight at the front with the fuel so mm. it's sort of it's a nice balance it sort of goes you know from nice front to a little bit of understeer towards the end of the race with a light front but um it's it's a very cool balanced car and i think um this sprint racing um it's as tough as endurance racing because you've got a lot of pressure for for 50 minutes and you've got to be driving every lap on the edge every lap like i mean in, in endurance you've got to be the same but you have a little bit of margin to you know, you've got a 24-hour race here. Just, just keep it, you know, 99%, not 100. You know what I mean? And mm. with, with sprint racing, you haven't got a chance to, even if you're at the front, to give it, you know, 95%. It's got to be 110% all the time. 
<laughs> I've and seen a lot of this races, mate. You're absolutely yeah, spot on there. Yeah, and you, and you make a little mistake, you're 10th, you know, and uh, it's very similar. You know, endurance racing's very much the same, but you have sometimes have a little bit more of, of a you know of a gap, you know, and to make a tiny little mistake. So, you know, it's very different in that way. Are you? I said we'll finish up. This is the this is the final thought from from me. Are you are you excited about this? You're a young man. You're a confident young man. You're a very accomplished driver. You've done a lot of good work already. But does a new challenge like this excite you? Firstly, thanks, John, for the kind words. But um, it does it does excite me. I'm yeah. I'm a very like energetic guy. I love. I'm always smiling. I'm always you know moving around because I I just love I love racing. I, I it's my I've, my blood it's in my blood so um I'm, i can't i woke up you know knowing about this news and i was like this is amazing dream come true i'm driving a porsche um for multi-manic and kelly moss like life couldn't get any better so um yeah I'm, I'm i'm loving it i'm loving life and just gonna you know cherish it give it everything i've got so yeah um i'm very very envious but at least we'll get to see you uh we've got all of the coverage of Seb and his competitors throughout the 2021 season over on www.imsradio.com in sound and vision. Seb, thanks for joining us. Really good to speak to you again. Best to the rest of the family, eh? Yeah, thanks, John, for having me on the show. I love this show. I've always been watching it, so uh, thank you very much. Well, NASCAR got underway properly at the weekend. Well, I say weekend. It was Monday by the time it finished. Uh, with the Daytona 500 and uh, joining us to talk about uh, who won is Declan Brennan. Good evening, Dex. Good evening, everybody. I hope you're all very well and all recovered from what a fiery but fantastic, extraordinary finish to uh, the great American race. Uh, and controversial in in. in... A number of respects, the race, and and, and no less the finish with uh, an accident right at the front of the field. Actually, the two biggest accidents, Dex, were at the front of the field. Um, The the early one, which uh, indirectly contributed to the red flag, although it wasn't for uh, the long delay, was for lightning in the area and and then for rain, which took out, I think, a dozen cars, 16 involved. And we gradually whittled that down to... um, I think there was still 16 on the lead lap uh, when the the last accident came. Um, we'll put put that to one side at the moment. Cause what we want to talk about, I think, is one Michael Christopher McDowell uh, in the number 34, the bright yellow number 34. Um, fair to say that Front Row Motorsports is not one of the super teams in NASCAR Cup racing. He was getting talked about all the way through the race, about how it was great he was in the top 15, how it was great he was in the top 10. What a great run for him. Um, McDowell and the team, great result for them, particularly for a driver who didn't, hasn't had the typical NASCAR career path. Far from it. Well, it's, it is the most wonderful study in perseverance, and I'm delighted for, for Michael McDowell. Uh, and for for some of us of a certain age, uh, he his name would have popped up on our radars uh, when he had his brief spell as a twenty year old in in Champ Car in two thousand and five. He did a couple of races in Champ Car. Uh, he had won the two thousand and four inaugural Star Mazda Championship. Uh, it wasn't the first uh, series. But it was the first to embrace the what became the new uh, the new Mazda engine and the, and the new Correct. chassis. The new chassis, uh, most he, importantly. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah, I remember. Do you know what? How scary is this? I remember when that was launched at Maz, what was then Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, and the new car for the next year was there. And that was was that the first year it went to the the, the carbon fiber car. That could well be correct. Uh, he did win a fair few races that season. Uh, he may have won six, but but so he effectively he's a graduate of 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 a we can reverse engineer this fact, but he's a graduate of the of the road to in the master road to Indy. But so he he seg- segued and somehow parlayed that into into uh, a couple of champ car races, which is probably a bit too early in his career. Uh, but therefore he was on my radar and then you'd notice him he'd pop up and he did things like uh in and around that time he won in mexico a couple of years later in grand am with Mamo gidley yes you know and he clearly he had absolutely had road racing chops but there was nowhere to go in in you know a champ car was a was a and indy car were were not in the greatest of shape at that stage and he did what a lot of guys do is he made the decision that if he was going to go racing and earn a living, he was going to have to go stock car racing and, and worked his way into Arca. Continued to do a little bit of Grand Am. In fact, uh, he did uh, nearly a whole season of Grand Am in 06 mm-hmm. uh, while he was doing some Arca races, which was so fair play to him. Grand Am arguably, you could say, saved his career and 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 gave him a path into into their into Grand Amas at the times uh, other series in in uh, in in stock cars. Yeah, I think it's uh, fair to remind people um, that uh, at that time sports car racing in the US was in the middle of a schism um, and had been split apart. You had the American Le Mans series and you had Grand Am, and never the twin would meet. Apparently, is what we were being told at, yes. at the side. And and Grand Am was NASCAR's version, Daytona's version of sports car racing, and it went on a completely and fundamentally different path philosophically than the American Le Mans series did. And it was much more NASCAR uh, does GT and and uh, prototype racing. And, and the opportunity for people to go between the two series, then what was then still quite a nascent uh, endurance series for Grand Am, there was plenty of back and forth to try and raise that up, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And he was, you'll remember, you might not remember him in the car, but you'll remember the car. He was, he raced the, uh, the Playboy Crawford, I think, off the top of my head. Uh, and, uh, and just so, you know, uh, without question, he was in full, uh, I'll race whatever I can mode at the time. And, uh, and, Things started to go, and again, this is why I love this whole story. He ends up in Arca, nearly wins the championship in Arca, loses it. He has four bad results, and Frank Kimmel wins the championship, and he is, he, uh, despite uh, multiple wins, and and so therefore he gets suddenly onto onto the radar of some of the of the newer teams. And this is a time when Michael Waltrip is building his own uh, NASCAR Sprint Cup team with with Toyota's money, and he gets the job there. And again. He thinks he's made the move. He's found his way back to the top. And it's a disastrous season, a disastrous season for him, including something you will probably remember. I'm sure Tim remembers in qualifying. He had one of the biggest accidents we've seen in decades at Texas, which was was so, yes, which was so big. It was the first time, funnily enough, 
he's now on in the middle of his uh, of his satellite media tour right now. This was so big, it got him a satellite media tour mm. of uh, <laughs> of Good Morning America and and his uh, you know 185 miles an hour accident, pretty much straight into the safer barrier. Uh, so it went from 185 to zero in, in not, a no foot. time at all in a yes. foot. And here, here's the thing: I watched it again yesterday just to to look and what 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 it. What strikes me is a couple of things is the safer barrier is extraordinary and it's mm. stuff that we take for granted and the uh, the strength and safety of those uh, stock cars is absolutely out of this was that, world. Was that the first year of the car of tomorrow? Oh, that's a great question. That would probably be a yes. It, it was certainly be, in yes. the early days. He wore a hands device yes. as well. Um, I mean, it, it, it was a movie crash, wasn't it? If you put yep. that in a movie, you'd say, no, that wouldn't happen. Because it hit the barriers, then bounced off and started to roll. And I don't know how many times it rolled. but 13, it was, he thinks it rolled 13 times. Whilst it was in flames. Yeah, I mean, it, somebody, it, it was literally a movie crash. Somebody And then it ended up on its tires. Because if it had been a movie, yes. you would have selected first and driven away to win the race. You know. If it had been a movie, people would have said that wouldn't happen in real life. I know that's what you said. And yet, yes, and yet exactly. we've got the footage to prove that that's exactly what happens in real life. If it had been the it, movie, though, it would have been on the last lap and he would have put it into first gear. Or he put it in reverse and reversed over the line to win the race. But that was the it, only it, thing it, that was missing from that. It, he was very it lucky. Was all, it really, really reminded me of the Gordon Smiley accident at, at Indy in so far as In that, 82? Yeah, that it's a sharp turn right out of nowhere and and suddenly it's like... and it, But as I said, these cars were just extraordinarily built. And that was, that suddenly became what should have been the beginning of the next stage of his career was suddenly became the Nadir. He, 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 he was pulled out of the car. Mike Skinner was put in the car to, to get it into races. They weren't qualifying. It was, it was just, it was really a, like what should have been the dream uh, start to the next phase of his career. It looked like it could be the end. Mm. And, and so when I started, as I started to, to look through this, and it suddenly dawned to me that uh, I kept, I, I was looking at all this is is sprint cup starts, particularly after this, which he got a few, and he was certainly he was doing, you know, running in poorly funded nationwide programs, and he was doing some sprint cup races, and it was, and I, I you'll have to forgive me, I've completely forgotten this. I kept looking at over the next two to three years, I kept looking at his sprint cup starts, like he'd have eight one year, or he might have thirty five, yeah. you know, the next, but all of them, he said, I kept looking going. God, he was very unlucky with retirements, like 34 retirements out of 30. Oh, no, no, hang on. Hang on. Wait, wait. Sorry, I've forgotten. He's starting parking. Yes. I suddenly realized. And I suddenly realized that with starting parking, you had to give a reason. So, you know, so (laughs) the full list of retirements would be vibration, gearbox, puncture, you know, death in the family, Uh, left the gas on. Had to get a haircut. Yeah, exactly. Returning a library book, uh, all-ball lesson at half past four. Uh, That was, I think that he he claimed that one twice uh, in that. So, He's so driven, he the... but he's driven for some good teams, though. I mean, he drove for Mike Shank in um, in Grand Am, and he yes, and, and he's yes. driven, um, you know, as a, he was a development driver in the Bush series for Michael Waltrip Racing. And he's he driven a, for a, Joe a Gibbs. For Gibbs. Yeah, yeah, he got a start in the eighteen. He replaced uh, at one stage in a nationwide race, uh, I believe. No, in fact, in Sprint Cup, he replaced uh, Kyle Bush when he was under suspension. But just just to give you some some uh, some 
uh, you know, context here. Uh, one of the seasons he started in Park, he made for the for the for the entrant for Mike Corb, he made uh, two and a half million dollars. <laughs> Hmm. Well, we've talked. We, I mean, you know, it, it, we've talked about that in in previous uh, iterations of this show. Um, uh, yes. Down back through the years, when you know, when we went through the list of people to see how much people had got, uh, it started to turn around uh, for him in terms of his NASCAR career. After, as you said, in and out, in and out, in and out. He drove for Richard Childress Racing at the back end of sixteen, I think, um, and uh, he, on the. Uh, road on road, road America, and actually uh, took his first NASCAR victory, uh, leading the last 24 laps. And then in 2017, he got a full place deal, um, and actually completed 99% of the. I had to look this up. 99% of the laps in 2017, the most among any full-time driver in the Cup, 26th in the standings. And yet, at the end of that year. He lost his drive with, yes. with Levine Family Racing in, in, in the, the 95 car and Casey Kane replaced him for 2018. So you even know, then, he had no luck whatsoever. I know, I know. And, and the problem was his win, his, his Xfinity win in 2016 was on a road course. So mm. it, it, it's like, so that, that doesn't help you uh, establish yourself for the, uh, the other 34 or 33 races in the season. And here's the thing. Uh, it was never a case of him not having the talent no but but uh, his face just didn't you know in some respects just didn't fit and the one thing i'll go back to is he was at the stage uh, a a decade ago where he he became arguably the next most famous incident in his career was uh was clashing with danica in a nationwide race where danica was such such an important property at the time uh for for stock car racing that Despite it being absolutely a 50-50, he got out of the car and immediately took all the blame as if they were going to fine him if he didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was absolutely uh, just uh, – it, it was terrible, a terrible – and therefore, for him to come out the other side of this and and uh, still at a remarkably young age for, for a guy who's had a career this long at 36 years of age, to now win the biggest race of them all is absolutely Phenomenal, and here's the the bit that I love is that he did it for Bob Jenkins, yeah. And Bob Jenkins' numbers and his like Bob Jenkins, you kind of forget that when you look at some of his cars over the years, you think, oh, he must be well funded because he has Taco Bell on the car, or he has, you know, no, no. Bob Jenkins funds this out of the profits from his 150 uh, various franchises for the Young Group, which are Taco Bell and Very and uh, Pizza Hut and yeah. various people like that, and so. Bob Jenkins and from from Raw Motorsport is a brilliant story in itself. Uh, I, I I did some uh, some quick calculations this morning. Uh, they've been running for seventeen years uh, in various various guises in in the top category, and that is uh, two hundred seventy seven thousand nine hundred seventeen laps, of which they have led two hundred seventy five. Mm. <laughs> but but as as they said in the broadcast on Sunday and yes uh, and and in fairness he got a lot of love in the broadcast and up to uh, this race at the weekend 
he's always been good in restricted plate races and particularly good at Daytona, actually. Yes. Uh, yep. Finished fifth in, yep. in, in, 25th, in 2019. Lots of top 15, top 10 finishes in really, you know, a car that shouldn't be there. But, you know, that's restricted plate racing. It gives you a chance if you race smart because yep. the cars can only go as fast as the cars that can go. They clearly know how to set up a car for a super speedway. He clearly yes. knows how to drive a car in super speedway. And when you consider and put that all into perspective, Dex, what happened on Sunday stroke Monday, he was in the right place at the right time right throughout that race, actually, wasn't yes, he? absolutely. He And as I said, it's a microcosm of his career. He, he, uh, he hung around did what he needed to do and then took the opportunity when it, when it arose that and is literally that's that race and it's his, his career mm. and uh absolutely uh, which is what you do in a in a restricted plate race and so it's not entirely uh, a fanciful idea that that front row should win because uh, they had a one two in Talladega in 2013 with Fords with Reagan and Gilliland so uh and, you know so they've won uh, the likely place that that team is going to win with the forward package that they have is on a super speedway. Yeah. So it's not out of the question. He was a hundred to one outsider to win the race, but, but he did it. And it's just, a, it's brilliant. And it, and it's a great story. Yeah, the thing, it is. And the story that, that you take from that is for the sport now is, and this is, this is, a, I'm opening this up to the floor because I, I don't know if, if, if this is the case or not, but it kind of reminds me, I'll go back. It's a 10 years since Trevor Bain won. Uh, <laughs> and do, do, are we at the stage now where, it is. It dwarfs the, the the championship. Is it more important for your career, or is it more prestigious to have a win in the five hundred than to win the championship? Because it's like it's like the Indy five hundred. It's like Le Mans. Um, yes, I, exactly. That's what I think. I think exactly the five hundred. can't take it away from the series. Yes, and Le Mans is bigger than any any supporting world championship that has ever been. And I think, uh, interesting enough, Formula One is not like that, and MotoGP is not like that, and the other big sports, uh, the big categories, that whatever or less. But but I do think that's because they don't have a standout event. Yes, and it's interesting, isn't it? I was about to say something that would have been fatuous given uh, NASCAR's uh, ridiculous schedule, you know. But but. It's odd, isn't it, that their biggest event is the first of the season. But you do get people making a specific effort for the Daytona 500 in the same way as whether Le Mans was part of a world championship or not. Um, manufacturers want to win Le Mans in every class. And and they would build a special car for Le Mans if they had to, just to say that they'd won yeah. Le Mans. And, and one of the issues with, with Le Mans, topic for another day, um, is that... By putting a particular class or formula into Le Mans, you, in some ways, jeopardise that formula because the manufacturers will spend whatever it takes to win that category at Le Mans. And that's the issue that GT3 is going to have going forwards if that ever gets to Le Mans. And Daytona is exactly the same. People build special cars yep. for Daytona it's such that you can. I mean, an extraordinary story in his fourth year for FRM. Um, we'll talk about the crash in just a sec. First cup win in 358 starts. And bizarrely, that's not the record. One Michael Waltrip took his first career win in his 463rd cup start, which I think is probably never going to be beaten. It's a great story for the team. It's a great story for him. 
Is it a great story for the sport, Dex? Yes, yes, it is. And I'll tell you why it's a great story for the sport. Because because he's a great story. If mm. if Kevin Harvick had won, or if Kyle Busch had won, Denny Hamlin had won. Uh, if they win, Denny had a great story three in a row. But but for for this, this is the story that is a bigger, easier sell to mainstream America, which is what they want. They want to be able to send the, the underdog, the plucky underdog, on his on his media tour. Uh, and he's a very, uh, he always has been, and his career, I think, has probably fashioned him this way. But he's an extremely uh, affable and humble guy. He's a devout Christian, and he's and he is very much the, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a uh, unassuming. And uh, that's what I, I genuinely like about him. And it's a brilliant story, and it's the story that the the sport, in some respects, needs, uh, particularly to keep it relevant at the time when you know there's no crowds going and 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 the drop and we've talked about this before but the 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 drop off in interest uh after daytona is tangible and pretty substantial and they need this that sport and here's the thing by the way that we haven't talked about that but we, uh, the, back to the point we're making about lamar and the status of the event being on fox while the rest of the series begins to get broken up and with the whole NBC landscape changing yep. about races going on to USA Network and stuff, there, there's something a bit self-fulfilling about this being the, the bedrock of the series and everything else being slightly an afterthought. That, well, and, and it's exactly like the Indy 500 because that shifts around uh, separate sometimes from the championship in which it is the crown jewels, which I, yes. I, I find ex- extraordinary. Um, possibly the only people who, who, who won't be celebrating are Joy Logano and Brad Keselowski. As they were coming into turn three, they were put in the wall. Uh, big push. There was been lots of bump drafting, lots of fairly aggressive b- bump drafting. And by that, I don't necessarily mean malicious, I mean quite hard hits. Such was the way the cars were set up this year. They were all set up slightly skewed to try and shed air off one side of the rear spoiler. And you had to, if you were bump drafting somebody, you had to hit them pretty much square on because the car was going to move around a lot. And that's exactly what happened. Coming in at the end, felt very... Uh, it was very unfortunate for Austin Sindrick, who'd fought his way back up after a bad final pit stop, uh, who had been right there. And I was obviously, you know, we know him as a, a lad because we, we've seen him racing in some of the, the um, endurance. My team has raced well. against him in GT4. Well, exactly. There, there, <laughs> yeah, there you so, go. And, and you know, yes. but for that last pit stop, he would have been even closer, but he got caught up in the fiery uh, incident. They did look at it, but. In, in common with most things that NASCAR do, there was no penalties for anybody. You can argue as, as long as the days as to whose fault it was because everybody was pushing and you're coming into the last two corners of the Daytona 500. But, but it, it, it was untidy. It was unfortunate. And does that take a tiny bit of the shine off for for the team and for I, I, Michael? No, I, I, I think the opposite. I think it's the... I, I that 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 finish is almost uh, I'm I'm not being kind of a jaundiced old Egypt when I say this but it just feels like that's the MO of that race now and it has been for a decade and a half or more maybe more maybe since maybe we go back to to the fight on on uh, in turn 3 in 1979 when it was broadcast live yes. Uh, yes. you know so so uh, you know that kind of of uh, uh, those machinations at the end are 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 what the sport 
kind of almost kind of expect. What was interesting is, and the thing that watching it back that I, I, I kept thinking about was, do you really want to be in the front? No. Like I know there's 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 absolutely there is there are times when you can win from the front from that person nobody can get by you. But do you really want to be in the front? And some of that accident felt like it was because the groove on the bottom came alive, and we saw with like half a lap to go that the the pack was potentially coming, and and there was you know guys second guessing themselves at the front, and and it's uh, so I. I'm I'm not necessarily saying it was their fault that they, they they ended up in the wall like that but but you have to ask whether or not and I don't know the answer to this whether or not it is really worth it being in either of the front two rows mm. if it's too wide on going on to the last lap I, I I might have been being oversensitive uh to this um having obviously called the the 24 hours the Rolex 24 uh, just a couple of weeks ago but those cars looked even quicker than usual, and the lap speeds were very, very quick indeed. The, I think the best lap was a tad under 200 mile an hour average, 199 point something. So have they opened up the restricted plates just a little bit, or is that it's, aero, or, or what? Or, and, or was I, I just, you know, was I just imagining it? No, I, I, it's funny. Uh, we, whatever the reason, it's funny that we are uh, we're getting back to the to the point where like breaking the 200 mile an hour barrier is is uh is the the point i think where they'll begin to make even more changes because it, it becomes just that metaphor like arbitrary line in the sand where, yeah, yeah like if you if you remember we went to the restricted place because by the mid 80s the the cars were well north of 200 yes on uh on uh, on super speeders, Talladega particularly, it was Talladega was just it was getting phenomenal but very silly. Like I need to go back, but Bill Elliott qualified at Talladega, and somebody will point me it was well north of two hundred miles an hour. Yeah, mm. uh, and and so I don't know if this is if this is a, a little bit of a red flag, yeah, uh, for them that they want yeah. it that, that because ultimately, uh the spectacle doesn't change if they if they reduce those speeds by eight miles an hour, for example, or, or seven miles or five, and they go back to being 196 or 197 average. Uh, Man, if it took 20 off and it's an average yeah. of 180, what difference does it make if they're all at 180? Th- Although that's I will the point. Say, I, think you'd, I think you'd notice the difference. I think you would notice, fundamentally, you would notice the I difference. I noticed the difference in the ferocity of the accidents. That's, that's yeah. what I noticed. And bits of car... Stuck up in the catch fencing uh, and in the safer barriers, sheet metal. Uh, the ferocity of those accidents were concerning for me. Concerning for me. Also, just the amount of air that they're moving. So many times on the onboards, looking backwards, you could see the anti-flip um, uh, plates on the front of the cars actually popping up. There was so much low pressure. They've clearly got their yeah. heads round the the aero of these cars so much that that the low pressure when you're in behind a car, and that of course means that they can do that draft. They can drag up, and when people work together, there's such an advantage that those those flaps are start starting to to move up. I, I thought that was extraordinary. I was wrapped with it. I sat on Monday morning UK time and uh, watched it back. And I, I, I li- I'd never fast-forwarded through any of it. 
And oh, I, I, I was absolutely, absolutely enthralled. Uh, you listen to Miss Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 16, Episode 7. Can you believe it? Uh, the one after the six. Daytona 500. Is it 6? No, it's 7, but it's the one after 6. It's the one after 6. The one after the Daytona 500. Uh, and uh, Tim Gray has a point to make on the weekend's activities. Uh, I've got several points to make, but the one I'm going to uh, pick up on is obviously uh, Michael McDowell having won the Daytona 500, the first race of the championship. is leading the championship decks, obviously. No, he isn't. Don't be ridiculous. That would be far too sensible. Yeah, he's fifth. Of course he is. Stage racing, sir. Stage huh? racing. Hey. <laughs> Stage racing is... It's... it's uh, we, it's, this is not new. We know this has been around for a while. This is how this thing works now. And and you get a, you're at the point where in commentary they'll say things like, and this is the 60th stage win of Denny Hamlin's career. It's like, no, I'd, I literally wanted a massive novelty megaphone shouting at the television going, I don't care. Just keep racing. I don't care. But this is what we have. We have stage racing to artificially make things interesting. I wouldn't have so much of a problem with stage racing and stage points because there's no point in having stage racing if you don't have stage points and you don't have playoff points. Well, what there I is, do have you pro- still get commercial breaks in. Well, no, no, no. Well, yes, but but in terms of people being going off strategy for them, the idea for me is for people to go off strategy and try something different, and and obviously offering playoff points and championship points that 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 would tend to make that happen. Uh, what I disagree with um, is them throwing uh, effectively a competition yellow at the end of each of the stages, which then means everything gets reset. Surely what you should be doing, and this is what IMSA does in Michelin Endurance Cup decks in the uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, that if you are at the 24 hours and it's uh, 6, 12, 18 and the end, it's up to you to decide if you're going to change your strategy to get those points for the Michelin Endurance Cup. But we're not going to throw a competition yellow at the end of it. And if that puts you out of kilter for what's going on around you, particularly in the last few hours, it's even more noticeable at, at somewhere like Petite where it's 4 and 8 and then at, at, at the end of the race, isn't it? Something like that. Um, and you don't get help to get back on for the overall victory. You 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 make your choice, and you've got to then you've got to then stick with that. I, I yeah, I, I, I'd quite I'd, I'd buy into it totally if they did that. Well, it's funny because I went and checked the uh, uh, the GTD standings after the Rolex Twenty Four, having uh, having gradient run, having the gradient run Sun Energy car finishing second, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we were fourth that car was fourth of the championship because it spent the first half of the race effectively establishing itself. So it yeah. didn't trouble the scorers and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and really, and so finishing second, I'd even, I think even if we'd won the race, we wouldn't be leading the Michelin cup. I think you'd only which be is a, third, possibly yeah. second, depending on what the other results were. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I think you've got to weight things a little bit more because it's the 500. I Should think there be more seems... points for winning the 500 like there I is for Le Mans? So, yes. You know, yes. the problem with that is, and we've seen this before, Le Mans, which is normally in the middle to the end of a championship, or it has ended the championship, of course, in the in the school year WEC that we, we have had in a couple of times, that completely skews the championship if one of the main championship contenders has a bad Le Mans and finishes down the race. So, 
having that well, at the forget, start yeah, of the but... season, everybody, if you have more points for Daytona, everybody else will be playing catch up from that point on. Yeah, but don't forget. Ultimately, the, the important part is the win. The win is the is the yes. is the bit that locks you in. So, so whether you get more points or not, in some respects, is kind of almost moot because it's the win is the win. That's the bit that matters. So McDowell of... and, and and the guys uh, for Front Row Motorsports. So they're in the playoffs now. They're locked in. They've got a, they've got a race win. Yes, unless they unless they've changed the the, the rules again. Which uh, somebody might, might tell me otherwise. Well, it depends who isn't going to get in by the time we get to the playoffs to, as to whether it'll get changed. Yeah. It? I, I also wanted to say, one thing I wanted to say is that I never thought I'd hear myself uh, say this in a sentence, but uh, that uh, the finish and the race reminded me of an MX5 Cup race. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I think MX5 should race their whole season. Uh, on the Daytona road course, I'm, 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 you know, I'm sure with some of the competitors would like this because they'd get too used to it after a couple of times, and okay, oh, you lose its magic. You do some racing on the oval as well. You're changing just the oval. Yeah, it's like the it's basically the MX5 Cup should be the champions of brands, is what you're saying. Yes, the champion. Where and for those of you who don't know, good look uh, it up. Brands Hatch, <laughs> Brands Hatch, which is most people. Brands Hatch had a series that was based entirely at its track. Uh, and there were specialists for Formula Ford who would come out and race well, it's, six it's, times, eight times a year. It's like the Nürburgring Endurance Series, the 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 uh, <laughs> NLS. You know, it's eight races, nine races during the year, all on the Nürburgring Nordschleife. The track doesn't change. Uh, the weather does, but, you know, that's it. The weather changes Anyway. And also the winners change because um, you have so many entrants in that. that true. It is, no, that is true. It is and it's much a class, more difficult. And it's and it's longer races. There's and, and, one and, more and, thing I want to check before we finish. I want to double check. Uh, uh, we oh, we don't know yet. Tim might know this. Tim, we need to find out what the winner's check is because uh, in 2013, as a start in Parker, uh, McDell earned $2,589,218. I would love to know if he beat that in one race this year. That would be fantastic. We will uh, I still... look it up and find out. Last year, the whole purse was 23.6 million, last year, yes. million um, wow. which was the highest total in the history of American motorsports. They haven't announced this year's purse yet. But it's, it's going up by roughly a million a year, so just over a million a year. So we shall... I, would, I, I can't uh, but the imagine... Win, the winner of the race only gets about 10% of that. Well, so basically, uh, that, that's kind of my point. So he effectively, in one race in 2021, eclipsed uh, his entire uh, 2013 start in Parker. If it's, if, it's gone, if it's gone up to about 25 million, which it could have, um, then he might have won... Um, he might have won more than his whole last year. See, Joey Logano got 1.58 million in 2015, so it was about nine percent of the 18 million purse that year. Oh, so, yeah, so last year was the first sense. time the winner got more than two million dollars. Yes, correct. They got they I'd got about lo- 2.1 million last I'd year. I'd love to know what sort of deal McDowell's on as well. I'd love to know because he may not may not be on this type of deal that somebody like Jeff Gordon was on, for example, where Jeff Gordon was earning. Jeff Gordon's contract had about, I might be wrong, but I think he was on 50% of the purse. Right, we need to move on. We do. Uh, NASCAR's moving on. Where are they going next week quickly, Declan? Uh, Oh, they're they're staying where they are. They're on the road course. They're going to be racing at Daytona again. Uh, In the dark. 
Daytona um, uh, 500 on Sunday and Monday. What happened on Saturday, Dex? I've no idea. The nationwide race, I presume, took place and the ARCA race. Uh, it was uh, the Xfinity I, now, of course, Dex. Uh, do you know who the sponsor was? Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, I do. I do. Go on, John. Go on. It is something like beef, the best meal ever I've ever eaten in my whole life, much better than chicken, 250. <laughs> very, very close. It was the beef, right, it's, what, it's what's for dinner, 300. <laughs> But the beef it's what's for dinner, in fairness, beef it's what's for dinner has been the beef marketing people's uh, uh, catchphrase uh, for a decade or more. So uh, as hilarious as that sounds to outsiders, that is that is uh, no surprise. Still not as good. My personal favourite of all time in NASCAR, pork, the other white meat, 150. Except that wasn't a NASCAR race, it was an ARCA race. It was an ARCA race, but all right, okay. And, but even so. And they dropped the slogan not long afterwards, so it was that Don't successful. Care. It was the uh, name of a anyway, race. Anyway, it brings us on to this. Uh, yes, I have no uh, clue. It's what a that was. brand new game show. Would I lie to you? Ah. Uh, so I'm going to give you the names of some uh, NASCAR races, and you need to tell me whether or not I'm lying. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, this literally couldn't be more up my alley. Who wants to go first? I <laughs> think Declan. Declan, Declan should go first. I was going to say, Tim, if my wheelhouse was at the end of my alley, this couldn't be more in my wheelhouse. <laughs> at the end of your alley. Yes. <laughs> and right up the street. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, Declan, the treatmyclot.com 300. Oh, phenomenal. And that absolutely exists. I'm aware of that one. Yes, that exists. That is a real race. Yep. Uh, John, staying on the healthcare theme, the right. My Bariatric Solutions 300. <laughs> I, I'm going to say yes. Uh, that's also correct, yes. Back to Declan. Ask your doctor. So, about... can I just ask? Is that I need to yeah. ask? Is that a solution? Is that a solution to the problem of bariatrics? Bariatrics, or is that literally a physical solution for bariatrics? Ba- bariatrics. Not... Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> uh, Dex, the next one for you. Ask your doctor about Flomax for male incontinence two fifty. That is not a real. You made that one up. I did indeed. Correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> John, SpongeBob yeah. SquarePants 400. Oh, I don't know if it was a 400, but there was a SpongeBob SquarePants race, so I'm going to say yes. That's the correct answer. Mm. Uh, Declan, the Teenage Mutant Ninja yes. Turtles 400. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely a real race. Yes, it is. You're uh, doing well at these. You're not going to catch. You're not going to catch me out, fella. Well, you might, but not with that one. Uh, John, uh, mm. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper, 500. <laughs> that sounds like it could be one. It doesn't sound like a one. You would never have said quicker picker-upper if you'd be making it up. I'm going to say yes, that's a race. It's not. Ah, It should have been. Should have been. <laughs> of course it should. Uh, Declan. 
Build your yes. own truck with Lego 120 at the brickyard. If it isn't, it has to. It, somebody's got to do it. That's a brilliant concept. I think now it's the first one I've been. I'm not. I'm going to go with yes. That is. No, I made that up. Oh, it's a great. It's one, a brilliantly it? made up one. That team. I am. And it's not even a golf clap. That's a hearty hands together. Lego. Lego need to get on that. That's brilliant. Can we TM that immediately? <laughs> The fact that Lego don't sponsor the Brickyard. Anything at the Brickyard. Exactly. (laughs) Go on, Tim. Re-elect Bush in 2004, 400. Be the stupidest thing I've heard. I'm going to say no, it's not. Uh, No, it's not. It definitely wasn't, yes. Get in. I'm backed within one. Uh, Declan, the NRA 500. Yep. That is a that is a thing. That's a thing, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, the slightly uh-huh. surreal. Everything's yellow until we go green. Two hundred. <laughs> I don't see now, a this sponsor doesn't work for there. me because I I don't know the slogan. So I don't. Uh, I, is that, is that Americans, no name? No, is, is that, it's just is a that slogan. A, it's just a slogan. Well. <sighs> Everything's yellow until we go green. I don't know. I'm going to say yes. No, I made it up. Okay. <laughs> and then he sold it beautifully. <laughs> he did. Nice job, Tim. Pretending you didn't understand it. I love it. The Subway Jalapeno 250, Declan. Yep, that's a real one. I don't think it is. Yes, it is. There's a su- oh, I didn't know there was a jalapeno in it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And finally, uh, watch Dale Jr. winning live on TNT 300. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not real. Is correct. Dex wins by a, two. That would be no, it's five, two. Five, five, uh, five four. The, uh, was it oh, five four? four? Yeah. Oh, I didn't go full uh, Real Madrid versus Eintracht Frankfurt then. I would have loved the... Uh, that's a that's oh. a that's a football reference for the teenagers there. Declan, the, uh, that was mega, mate. That was mega. Thank you very much for joining us. And, oh, uh, my pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your week, mate. I will do my very best. And uh, speak to you all soon. And that's all we've got time for. Except to say, Jonathan Baines tweeted in Aspect Entertainment to say, can we have Eat More Chips 100 at Brands Hatch, please? I, that, you might have won the internet with that, Jonathan. Thanks to all of I still don't think guests. it's as good as the uh, Build Your Own Truck with Lego at one fit 20 at the Brickyard. That, we've we've honestly, got to get that race. Yeah, and that needs to be a camping uh, world truck series yeah. race, doesn't it? Uh, tomorrow at 8, it's a Simcast. Yeah. And, oh yes, uh, it's the Brits this week, isn't it? It's Matt and Jordan this week. Mm-hmm. Um, what have they got on? Well, Matt did send me some notes, but I've left them in the other room, so I can't remember. But listen, it'll be fantastic. It always is. They're, they're, they've been right on point uh, recently. Uh, Dave Alcock says the midweek motorsport NASCAR. Would I like to you uh, to which which would I like to you is superior to the original already? More of these, please. Bravo to all concerned. I spent very a week writing funny. that. So I can't do that, that was all the good. time. No, it was very good. Very good indeed. Thanks to Seb Prio, also to the guys at Champion Motorsport, uh, to Shade, to Nick, 
and to Tim, the responsible adult, was Eve Hewitt. Tune in tomorrow from 8, Simcast, then on the grid. We'll be back at 8 o'clock next week, and we've got Historic Racing News following us next week at 8 with their regular monthly show. Not one of the specials this week, or next week, rather, should I say. That's the regular show. Uh, Thank you to you all. Good tweeting tonight. I suspect we'll be talking more about bronze plus, silver minuses, and gold equals in the future. But there's no time to explain because the Llama is off to work out lap averages on silver drivers spread over the race before you've just entered. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.